Sanchez is out there. Yeah. yeah. And and welcome <laughs> to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. I am your host, Warren, and I'm like, super excited to talk about the disaster artist with a couple of my best friends. How's it going, everybody? Uh, I did not hurt her. <laughs> I did not hurt her. I oh, hi, hurt Warren. I'm on. Uh, 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 that beautiful voice, everyone, was the mouth of the South. Brylan, how's it going, man? Good morning. Welcome Good to morning. a breakfast podcast. I think it's pretty yes. cool. It's nice. It's sunny outside. It's an early day. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, what I'm drinking right now is some nice Starbucks uh, Christmas blend dark roast that I put into my Cafe Dumont coffee mug. And this is 32 ounces of coffee, so it's going to keep me awake through our wonderful podcast. Uh, and what I watched recently is I finally got around to seeing Get Out. And I was hoping that the hype around it didn't disappoint me. And it did not disappoint me, which is good. It nice. is a good movie. Um, I would say, I'm surprised. I'm not going to call this a horror movie. This is a suspense thriller. Um, I think it's weird that it kind of got publicized and advertised as a horror movie even though there are some horror elements but I don't ever feel like it goes into a and it plays around with horror trips I don't feel like it goes into the horror genre that much though um, and it does have a clever use of social commentary to it and I wish they actually I think they played it, the social commentary a little safe I wanted them to take more risks with it and get a little bit, maybe a little bit more serious about it, too. And I thought it would have been amazing then. But, yeah, it's definitely worth watching. It's a really good movie. Ryland, how would I'm you... I'm really glad that the hype didn't, like, ruin it, because I know a lot of people were talking about that movie a lot. Like, the biggest thing was, you have to go see that movie, sort of yeah. thing. So I'm really glad it still, like, uh, was good for you. Bryland, how would you have felt... So the original ending they were... I think they shot and did was... Uh, at the end, uh, spoiler alert for a movie that came out a year ago, um, th- at the end, the uh, police car, instead of Rod, it was supposed to be the white cop from the beginning. And then he would have got, just got arrested and, like, popped for, like, a triple murder. That would have um, been... That, see, I, I think that would be an... I mean, that would probably be, like, a braver choice just because it would be, like... Hey, guess what? You know, even though you've uncovered this big conspiracy, the reality of society is still setting in type of thing. Also, Warren, <laughs> if I start seeing you start swirling that teacup, I'm out. I'm done. I'm quitting Skype. I'm <laughs> You, like, said that as soon as he picked it up. I was like... <laughs> you wake up in Charlie Hunnam's body. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't hate that. That's way better than my body. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for hanging out with us for this breakfast podcast, super early morning podcast, so I'm pumped about that. We also have the beautiful Shredder, who's hanging out with us, uh, and uh, Mr. Mike Blewett. uh, What's going on? What you sipping on and what you've been uh, watching? What's happening? Uh, I got some English breakfast tea by by Red Rose. I think they actually are from England. Vaguely remember my parents getting me that, or Ireland. Uh, It's delicious. No flavor to it whatsoever, just a bunch of caffeine. Um, as far as what I'm watching, uh, watch the Psych movie. Actually, when we were doing Coco, I had to go run away because, and I don't know if you can listen very ca- carefully, uh, spoiler alert for that podcast, uh, I pre-recorded some of that stuff and then was laughing in the background of my own podcast <laughs> watching this stupid TV movie uh, with some friends, but it was absolutely wonderful. It's characters that I absolutely enjoyed when they were on their main TV run, 
and uh, they really returned to form in the same manner. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I was really, uh, really pleasantly surprised. I'm trying to get me like- to do a one-off, uh, just like me and her talk about the Psych movie for the down front. So we'll see how that goes. That would be awesome. Please make that happen. I know that, that like you, you can only watch that on like like uh, USA Today or USA like streaming site or something like that. Yeah, it's the USA Network. It's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. I'm holding out for the Monk movie. We, I mean, if there was gonna be a cameo, it was gonna be in that because they're in San yeah. Francisco now, and they they still didn't. I think t- Tony Shalhoub's done with the character. Yeah, pretty much. That's a bummer. He's yeah, a good, that's a good character. Yeah. Yeah. And I am Warren, and I'm your host. Uh, I am also sipping on some English breakfast black tea with honey to give it a little bit of flavor. So there you go, uh, Mike, for that. And I finally got a chance to see Cars 3, uh, one of the Pixar movies I think I, I just missed, uh, whether it's like over the summer or something like that. And man, that movie was pretty sad. Uh, that movie was, it was good. You know, it was definitely better than Cars 2, but not as good as Cars 1. I think a lot of people said that. And I can understand why, like, that movie, I think, was made, you know, it's a, a kid's movie, and they had a couple of, like, like, younger elements to it, but definitely kind of talking more of, like, adults and, like, um, uh, parent, uh, parenting and, like, just moving on and, like, just making sure that you're okay with, like, the future. Uh, are you okay with the present being able to kind of move on towards, like, the future itself? So they have a lot of things that, like, really kind of prepare you and kind of get you set up for, like, okay, like... What what happens when like this thing that you want to do from now on like may not be the the best for you? Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it, it's actually probably a good Pixar movie for senior citizens because it's just like, hey, it's a uh, it's all about accepting when your your time is over and you need yeah. to move on. <laughs> exactly, and it's, and it's and it's a tough like that's definitely kind of a yeah. tough movie to. Um, to to watch too, especially when you know you talk about, especially at the time of like NFL players and players who like still want to play and can't, you know, you know, physically, either physically or mentally, and a lot of different things. Like it really kind of was like doubling down on a lot of those sort of elements. So I uh, I thought it was kind of a, a powerful way to kind of do that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been watching. And we have all had a chance to watch The Disaster Artist, um, starring James Franco and Seth Rogen, Dave Franco. I mean, like, tons of people in this actual one. And I know that they were Rafi. a good... Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> uh, Paul Shear was in this movie, too. Judd Apatow, spoiler alert, was in this movie. But there was a good amount of buzz going into the movie itself. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, a few of these things of, you know... Byron, were you one of the room sort of people? Like, did you like obsess over the room? Was that like your thing, and that's why you're excited to go watch this movie? Um, no, I just I've always heard about the room, and it's ridiculous by uh, proxy. Um, I used to work with a guy that's like really into like um, the movies that you don't really see like the big budget movies or anything he's always about like the deeper movies and he was always talking about the room uh and i watched the highlight reels on youtube and i was like yeah this is ridiculous and dumb i can see where people would get enjoyment out of it uh but that's as far as i ever got into it what so i love this movie the first time i saw it uh well actually it was kind of weird because it starts with like three 20 minute long sex scenes and uh my friend fell asleep in a bed next to me, and I really just didn't want him to wake up in the middle of that, because that's awkward. Um, and, uh, yeah, we Charlie dated and, uh, and franked that night. Uh, woke up in the next morning, shook hands, we're like, all right, we're going to go our separate ways now. Um, and so, you know, ever since then, I've been showing people this awful, awful movie, um, including, like, one of my favorite nights of all time. Uh, I saw The Room at an art house theater, with Tommy Wiseau and Craig Sestero there, and they did a Q&A beforehand. Uh, I don't know if everyone knows, but you, like, traditionally you play football in the audience, and, like, you throw spoons at the, uh, you know, at the screen when, when like, this, in the background of the movie, there's all these spoons that are just hanging out. And so you, you, I got pelted by a hundred spoons that night. Um... You, uh, I mean, people regularly yell out the lines, you know, like there was basically no line that was completely silent just cause <laughs> like if you get into this, it, I call it the, the modern generation Rocky horror, 
where people just go yeah. have a good time um, and see this awful movie. So I've, I've seen this movie like 30 times. I love it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that was funny because especially me, like I didn't hear really anything about The Room until like maybe, maybe like Scatterings early last year. Uh, but like my roommate kind of explained it, a couple of things to me this one. So I was really kind of disassociated with it. Uh, but like once I got into it, I'm like, oh, so it's kind of like a Rocky Horror. That, that's hilarious. I think that's yeah. really funny how they're like kind of comparing both two because I'm a huge Rocky Horror fan. I'm like in that. I know the lines. Like me and Josh were part of the podcast. Like we went there. Uh, we went to the showing that was in Boston, which we thought was hilarious. And people like throwing like rice and different things. So I definitely yeah. kind of get that. But it was like a very different because one's like a musical and one's just not, you know? Um, so I thought that was a very, very funny uh, uh, just tone just kind of going into the movie how people are excited and blue is showing us he actually has the room on dvd Ooh, that's <laughs> I, I don't even know what a dvd is but i told a dvd player get, what's those dvd players you got I, there i totally <laughs> forgot i have that's that I, I don't know where the dvd cover it's probably in my car my car's trunk has just like excess from when I moved two years ago, but it kind of looks like like a, some shady person from New York's like back alleys salesperson. It has just all this assorted junk. Selling I've got DVDs. like I've got like random DVDs in there. Like makes no sense. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I mean, we're we're pumped. We're excited. We're going to give you our entire kind of spoiler section for right now. We're going to give you a quick kind of intermission, and we'll be right back in a moment. So kind of stay tuned for that, uh, and stay tuned for our entire episode of The Disaster Artist. We'll see you soon. Bye. to figure out where that all comes from and we are back let's unpack this movie we are talking about the disaster artist and this was directed by james franco um and starred a bunch of people so we're going into our entirely spoiler sort of section i'm going to start with brylan here brylan tell me some things you enjoyed about the movie um i found this movie to be a really great parable on what does friendship mean and I think the relationship between Greg and Tommy in this movie is done really well by uh, two real brothers, Dave and James. Uh, they definitely play their parts really well. I think Dave is actually really good standout here because there's some moments in this movie where you go through this movie thinking like, Greg, why are you hanging out with this dude? Uh, he's so weird and everything. But there's those scenes like the first time uh, Tommy and Greg meet up in a cafe and Tommy's like encourage him just get up and start reading the lines and stuff which one I think is great acting uh, is a great acting lesson is like if you're shy go to a place that's uncomfortable talk about it and then just go out there and do it uh, and two I think it speaks to what their friendship is like Tommy was this very positive force for Greg for Greg to actually pursue his dreams uh, and it also becomes when you are friends with somebody, they also can conflict with other parts of your life. Like when um, he has that opportunity to work with Brian Cranston on Malcolm in the Middle, and he has to make that choice because Tommy doesn't want him to go because Tommy's afraid to be alone. That that moment you can see in Dave Franco's face is just that choice that Greg makes. It's like I'm already kind of with this guy here, and he loses his girlfriend and a job opportunity. <laughs> Yeah. Out of that split second, which is definitely, I think, tells a lot about their friendship. Um, I think uh, James Franco has a really tough job to do in this movie, and it's interesting to see, is James Franco doing great acting by acting as this odd bad actor? Um, 
and it's tough to balance that line of is he just paradising or is he actually bringing some like multiple facet elements to Tommy and I think he does a solid job with that um, and it's also great to see like the whole Apatow crew just jump up in the in, out of different roles here so just seeing people like from the league and pe- seeing people from um, just Seth Rogen's character or Andre's character in this are, and even Hannibal Burris in here uh, have these small parts, but they have a really great um, they they have really great personalities that can bring a lot to just those brief moments in the movie. Brian, um, I a couple of things on that. I, I working backwards. I you know I agree with you, and I don't think that there's ever been a film that's had like the secondary salesperson has been the quality of actor as Hannibal Burris. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like th- that's usually just a nobody. Like who wants that role? Um, yeah, uh, I do. That'd be cool to be in a film. Please cast me in your movie. I have no acting experience. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but uh, but at some points, it I, I'm kind of on the fence with like kind of what you two things you just said. Where like it did feel like James Frank Franco and Friends at some point. You know, it almost felt like. Again, you know, I was going back. I I really like the room, and so it it almost seemed like a pet project at points, rather than like that. You know what it what it could have been. Um, a minor criticism because I think most of the time it worked out, but every once in a while I was like, oh yeah, you were like drinking with one of your buddies, and you're like, hey, I have a I have a you want to hang out on you know set for the day let's go shoot some some movies the other thing is uh james franco still looks like james franco this is my biggest criticism in that like he crushed the accent but it's like tommy was is such a weird looking dude and james franco is such a weird looking dude that like at some points it pulled me out of the movie that i was like no i'm still watching james franco not this oddball of a human being yeah And, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with, like, the visual elements because, like, you would look at these characters and you're like, oh, it's the Franco brothers dressed up. You don't see, like, oh, who is this character I've never seen before. It's it's just because of that notoriety. They built this Apatow crew that, like you said, all their films got that feeling like a bunch of friends got together that afternoon to make a film. <laughs> this is and you still feel that in this film too. I will say this, the uh, the work that Dave Franco did with the longer hair, I saw a preview for it, like the only trailer I think they released, um, and I thought it was Greg Sestero. I thought he was just in the movie. <laughs> so like I, I guess to say props to that one, that look was like absolutely perfect. Uh but yeah, James Franco is James Franco. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just no, there's just no getting around that. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I thought was really good that they did was that final, that after credit scene, where Tommy comes up and starts talking to James as Tommy. Uh, it was just like a fun little meta exercise in acting, and you know, I mean, I kind of liked Tommy's acting in that scene. I mean, I didn't. See, I, it didn't feel like weird. I was like, "Oh, this guy put a little effort into it," and yeah, he's not going to be the greatest actor in the world, but yeah, he could play a scene. It's fine. And I thought that was a nice little um, homage or a little celebration of Tommy that they added to the movie. Uh, and uh, my last win is going to be—I mean, Allison Brie. She's perfect. Uh, she does no wrong. I always love seeing her on screen, and she's also an amazing actress. And more of Allison Brie the better. Absolutely you more. Mean, you mean. Brie. I was super bummed that I didn't get a chance to, like, I stayed for the shot-by-shot, uh, scene-by-scene uh, credit scene, and I stayed for a long time. I didn't know that there was going to be an after-credit scene. I was so pissed. I was like, why? Well, but of course. So I was really bummed that I actually missed that, so hopefully they kind of put that on YouTube. Um, I'm, a, I'm avoiding YouTube right now for spoilers, but hopefully they put that on YouTube so I can at least kind of uh, take a look and kind of watch that because I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, blew it. Yeah, a couple things. Um, I I think that I personally loved the insider references. Uh, as someone who's again seen this movie a million times, like I loved the stupid little crap that I was like, "Yup, that's exactly that." Like how they kept 
coming back to the whole cancer thing. If you haven't seen that film, you don't know that's like, it literally is just, they bring it up in one scene and then they never talk about it again. It's like, and that character's in other scenes after that. Like it's, it's, they really did their homework in figuring out what really makes this movie tick. Um, and a lot of the insider references are what kind of keeps people from, you know, coming back to it time and time again. Um, I also applaud this. I kind of read about it beforehand that, uh, but I didn't know they were going to put so much of it into the movie. Apparently they did pretty much shoot 75% of the movie over again. And so, yeah, like apparently like when trying to decide all those scenes, cause there's so many great scenes, like there's so many things that are just like this. And because again, none of it's self-referential. There are all these like tiny little vignettes that kind of like Chris R that the, with Denny, that drug deal almost never gets talked about afterwards. Although I will say this, it's one bit of clever writing that Chris R, uh, uh, Tommy disarms him and, uh, excuse me, Johnny. And, uh, that's the gun he kills himself with it later in the movie. That they also don't bring up, but if you're clever about it, you can kind of, like, remember. They don't say that's the gun, but... Which I think is the only reason that scene exists. Because they never talk about Denny's drug problem again. Um, but, uh, uh... By the way, uh, What's-His-Face was great in that role as Chris R. Uh, oh, sex, sexy man I guy. Hilarious. Like, was, like, amazing. All that he's doing. Like, I didn't yeah. recognize him when he was playing Chris R, but then he's at the uh, premiere... And I'm like, what's Zac Efron yeah, doing yeah, here? Yeah, it's just Zac Efron. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently they shot... Uh, speaking of things that I want to see on YouTube, um, apparently they shot most of the movie, which I guess for a trained group of actors isn't that hard to do because there's no, like... You don't try it again for feeling. You know, like, usually when they make these movies, you deliver your line several different ways and they splice it together in editing. Um in this case, like, there is just the right way. And so you do it a couple times to get the right way, and then you go on to the next scene. And there's also no special effects in it or any... It's probably a pretty easy thing to make. I would love it if they completed it and released their own perfect copy with just James Franco in it. Like, to me, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting, like, all the actors they chose are just a little hotter than the counterparts <laughs> well i mean that's when you're getting like what when you're having an audition process that kind of feels like a porn audition yeah, yeah, yeah. you're probably not going to get like the greatest talent although who knows apparently with the whole harvey weinstein thing that's came out every audition was a porn a audition at this point Jeez. yeah no. he needed to go <laughs> gone he be gone yeah <laughs> What a terrible human being. Yeah, what a god-awful human being. Um, yep. Arizona, please don't be sponsored by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please still sponsor us, Arizona. Yeah, uh, future sponsor, Arizona Iced Tea. Um, I can't believe we're all drinking tea, but none of it's Arizona. Our sponsor is going to kill us. Uh, I mean, if they make, if, if they make like, a hot tea, like a hot like black tea, that would be amazing. That would be sick. All right, non-secondary. Uh, my, my biggest win for this... Uh, it really, the hardest challenge about making a movie based on this is that, and I think that they really wrapped it up at the end where this movie has heart. Like it's not, I've seen plenty of terrible, bad comedies that are just like really terrible juvenile jokes being said by like the most mediocre actors and actresses. Like this movie wasn't that. It was terrible. It's hilarious because of that. But at the end, I think it's so funny because you know that they're being serious and trying to make a legitimate piece of art. And so that scene at the end really resonated with where, like, uh, you know, Greg was talking to Tommy and saying, like, hey, this might not be the reaction that you, you were looking for. But you made something genuine here. And these people are yeah. genuinely enjoying themselves. And and that's the hardest part about making this movie, that you can't make it a straight-up parody. Because the movie itself isn't a parody. And you can't make it a straight-up, like, serious, 
you know, dramatic. Like, if they made every scene, like, the sex scene, you know, and just made it, like, a constant bickering, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't capture the, the thought process on it. And they, they absolutely killed it with that. Um, yeah, there was, some, there was something very awesome and also very deep, not only for that moment. Uh, there was a lot of beats in this movie that, you know, you can call them, like, roller coaster, but it's like, you know, we were watching these characters being filmed on a movie that's that was supposed to be doomed for failure and we knew that the movie was bad they knew that the movie was bad but at the same time there was still something there and there's like that, that creative process to kind of go into it and it's just very interesting much like you were talking about the scene that you know what, what he's still trying to make this sort of thing and I, I love the fact that you know he mentions it and he's talking about himself as you know being like the alfred hitchcock and how you know, he was always, like, angry at all of his, like, actors, like, his performers, none of them liked them. So, I like a lot of the parallels that so they were kind of drawn into that, especially kind of talking about that point, Lloyd. So, yeah. um, I, I like it was a weird line that they had to keep kind of crossing and making sure they don't go to, kind of go too far. Right. And so, when you look at, you know, what kind of movie is this? You're like, it's kind of tough to pinpoint exactly. You it's, can't really kind of put it in one genre. Yeah. That sort of thing. Uh, one yeah. one last thing. It also humanized these characters. You know, you you watch, you watch movies and like, you see Iron Man and you're like, all right, well, there's like part of me that's in that character and that's why I relate to to it and that's why I enjoy it. But I also can realistically look and be like, yeah, I'm I'm not a bill billionaire playboy philanthropist. You know, like, um, whereas with this film, it did a great job showing the behind the scenes that all these people are just in fact people, you know, most of them are trying to make a dollar in the world and like trying to be the best human beings they can and like live their lives in a fulfilling manner. Um, and I thought like, granted they're, they're goofy characters. They're Tommy was is a strange, strange human being. And Greg is like the perfect, you know, uh, straight man for that because like realistically he has no insane talents, you know, like, the dude got lucky that he was on a cult classic, um, and yeah. he made bank, I'm sure, from that. But it, it realistically like humanized all those people that we only maybe see on a 20 foot screen. Um, that scene yeah. with like James Dean was like, I mean, how many of us have taken road trips to like just we, stupid road trips with your friends, spur the moment, last minute, and then kind of like meant something, you know? After that, I still remember going to IHOP at my first day after my freshman year of college at five in the morning with my friends, watch the sun uh, rise, eating pancakes in Revere. It was like, yeah. you know, it's, it's stupid, but he kind of sticks with you. Yeah, those yeah, are my biggest, uh, biggest wins. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was actually kind of pretty cool. I'll, I'll definitely kind of talk about a bunch of my wins. And, you know, one of the things kind of going on, uh, a lot of the points that Blue and Brian had talked about was, you know, this was a motivational and, like, inspiring movie, especially to the sense that, you know, we start off and <laughs> we start off in like, kind of an acting sort of class and he's doing, you know, a Tennessee Williams and Tennessee Williams and how he loves that particular set of sort of writer and that playwright. And he's doing, like, the literal only thing that people <laughs> probably know, you know, Streetcar Named Desire and the Stella scene. And all he's doing is saying just her name, you know, and we know Marlon Brando has done that role. And it's really something to, to think about, you know, like this part, like when it all said and done, how ridiculous and how silly that it may be, like this person has a dream and they're literally, he is not letting anything get in the way of that dream. Uh, so much so that, you know, he went to an acting class, that person, you know, he went to a Stanislavski acting class and Stanislavski is like, just like Meisner is the father of acting and like, you know, modern things. So obviously these people have been dead for a very long time, uh, but he makes a joke about that that I think is really hilarious. And I'm like just laughing, at, like this is this is silly, but you know he went to this like uh, directing or acting class and he's like, hey man, like you don't you don't got it. Everybody wants to be like you know the hero, but you just may be like known to be a villain. Um, and a lot of times in a lot of uh, places in which a lot of people go into these acting auditions and stuff, they think they want to be the leading person and. A lot of directors are going to then put them down and says, you look like you're more of a character actor. And so you should probably kind of focus on that, you know. And that resonated a lot just from just experiences that I've seen. And it really gets people down. And uh, Greg got there. Greg got lucky because he looks good. So he got a, he got a, um, 
you know, he ended up getting the agent and he does like a little bit of work, but he notices that it's not much there. And it was also nice to humanize these people going, they're moving to LA, like, we're just going to be actors. Let's, let's just go and do it. And sometimes that, it, that may not necessarily work out, work out for you. Um, so I thought that was like a really, uh, really kind of powerful moment to say, you know, they kept at it. They kept at it, that motion. Like it was a, it was a bad script. Like literally everything, this was doomed to fail from the beginning. Yet they still was going through it. And, that motivation, that loyalty from Greg and just kind of staying with Tommy the entire way was something I, I definitely loved to the point where at the end, you know, this is something I poured my heart and soul. We poured our heart and soul into this. And people, like, I was hoping that people would love it and people absolutely are laughing at it. But at the same time, that's still a win coming from that. So I, I like that. I just how uplifting that was. Um, they probably didn't say it, but he, you know, he said, you know, with the whole pinky uh, swear of, you know, follow your dreams. Like this, it's just me and you. So uh, I really like that aspect of it a lot. Um, yeah, and one, I, or one thing on top of that, but like, I think it's really good. I think it's really good that the Apatel crew did this because I don't, I think any other, um, like group of people in Hollywood, if they made this film, be like, as soon as Tommy and Greg decide, Hey, let's go to LA. It's like, oh, wacky hijinks pursue, and look at this funny thing, and they just, like, try to push, like, oh, look how funny this is. Uh, where it's, like, you get a natural... You you earn natural laughs out of what they do, and it's, like, they play it for reality, but you know that just the eccentricities of Tommy or Greg's loyalty to Tommy, it's just there's some natural humor that comes out of it. Yeah. It's like a, it's also on a different like level too. Like especially when he like approaches at Patel like in the restaurant and he's like trying to, um, you know, he's trying to kind of quote and like do like a Shakespeare part of it. Like that's funny. Like just as a, as a general audience, that, that's funny. Like oh that that that's also funny. The next level is well that must suck for you know Apatow because he probably gets that a lot arguably. And then you keep going like well that's. That's actually very sad too, and there's a lot of these levels of like sad and like tragedy and yet comedy. And there's always a spectrum with that, and so just that one scene, you can get like a lot from it. Of well, he thought that that would work. Like that's what you know people thought, quote unquote, Hollywood. Like that's the only way to do it, and probably yeah. not so much. I really uh, like the so scene where uh, the acting coach tells Tommy to read the lines without the accent at the Stanislavski school. Uh-huh. And just. It gets so weird and so uncomfortable. He makes the weirdest faces. It's great. So good, so good. Uh, and I, mean, I think in the, one of the last things that I do love about it is uh, this. This also is like a very funny part to me, and I laughed at it. But I think it was probably a different one. But the rooftop scene and how he kept forgetting his line and forgetting his line. And I've been a part of productions where everybody knows the person's line at this point. And it's like maybe like four or five, six times over, or this is like the third or fourth day that we're doing it. So we all know the line, but this person still messes it up. So I love how everybody's just like, we don't get it. Like what's going on? And that like continuous uh, way of just kind of redoing it over and over. I, I thought that was very, very funny. Um, and I remember that scene in the room. I was like, Oh, I really hope that was like, how it really happened because it was a very odd and like weird scene in the movie itself and they also kind of recreated that uh, oddness but I just love like all the cringeworthy moments in this movie too because it was tough to look away but still very funny the water bottle scene was hilarious where like if that's that's really what got him to say that line that's amazing like that subliminal tricking of like hey play with your hands so you don't think about what's coming out of your mouth yeah 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 it's so uh it's so strange but yeah i mean so i'm I'm pumped because like i'm glad that we like this movie but we know it's not like a particular kind of perfect movie and you know riley what's some things that just probably didn't didn't work for you for uh the disaster artist uh yeah so i feel that the movie and even though it does have it does some really good jobs i think for a lot of moments that it struggles to feel that it struggles with it doesn't want to be a parody of Tommy Wiseau and his making of this movie, or does it want to just be like an earnest, like kind of celebration of um, what they actually accomplished out of it? And um, there's just sometimes like James Franco's uh, portrayal, it feels more of um, 
just making fun of Tommy rather than trying to dive deeper into who Tommy is. I mean, they bring up these questions about, like, where were you really born? Where did the money come from? And I'm sitting there thinking, hey, I want to kind of go down this journey of, like, how can you discover, like, where did this money come from or who who he actually is? Because he's such a quiet individual, can can you get a little bit more investigative about who Tommy's character is. So, Brian, bring that up to the lot a little bit more. They don't know. I'll answer that right now for you. They still yeah, have Tommy no idea. Say. Right, exactly. So, th- you can't answer a question that doesn't have an answer. Yeah, but I, I still find, like, even movies that are kind of biographical like this, that even if they go with their what they perceive as assumptions, if it's done right it can play off really well or just add a little element to that character, even if it's not factual. Um, I think, uh, like, just having the idea of him, uh, like he was in a car crash, and he says so to Greg when he first meets him, is that part of why he's so eccentric? Or yeah. is has he always been like this? That's, like, the biggest thing I'm curious about of Tommy. It left me just... Kind of like, I got to know very little about this character, but that might be the point, and that might be kind of who just Tommy is. He just, he'll let you in so much, and there's not much more you're going to get out of it. So it it made me a little conflicted while watching this movie. That's fair. Yeah, I think that was was also interesting, too, because there was a moment in which, you know, they talked about the car scene, and then, like, later on, like, offset that there was the uh, the actors that were like unpacking this the script. And it was like, well, you know, who was like if Tom, if Tommy is Johnny, then you know who was Greg to him? Like, who who betrayed him? Like, did he have somebody who just like kind of broke his heart? And like, I think the biggest thing that people always look for is like, you know the deeper meaning of what does this actually mean? Uh, and I was definitely thinking that through. Like, hopefully, we can get some more answers and get some more information, but. I just don't like. But it would be di- talking about. I don't think we know. So. It'd be yeah, it'd be disingenuous yeah. to the character because you know again there's there's a big following on the original film and if you just kind of made up a backstory for realist I mean this movie came out in 2003 so what are we at 15 years almost uh, that this has been out and been you know there's there's people that will almost legally be able to watch this movie that were born the year the movie came out. You know, it's an R rating. So, like, you know, it's like there's a long list of people that have gone and, like, really treasured this. And so just to make up a backstory, just to fill in, you know, these expository uh, elements, I think unless you got it right would be, like, pointless. People would riot if you just made up a backstory for them. Um, That being said, also... It's kind of one of the great things about this this stupid situation that we have, this stupid, stupid movie, is that we don't know, like, anything about it. You know, like, we know that he self-financed it. We know that he has no idea how to make a movie. He just kind of wanted to make a movie. Like, that's kind of part of the magic. You know, it's, it's like The Wizard of Oz, where if you really don't want to pull the curtain away sometimes because the answer's probably not as cool as you think it's going to be. Yeah, and you could be right about that, but I think, like, it feels like, I mean, it's based on a book that Greg wrote, and maybe there's more in the book that can make this movie, or make this story feel more fleshed out, and I feel like they definitely captured, like, a very surface-level portrayal of this movie, Um, and one thing I thought would be more interesting is, like, at the very end, they're talking about how it became this accidental cult success. And mm-hmm. we get a couple of, like, uh, news clippets of him, like, high-fiving crowds outside of uh, viewings and stuff. And I feel like the more interesting story about Tommy is how does he handle that this accidental success happens to him? That he did make a bad movie, but it has an enduring point to it that people actually want to tune in and actually go see and I think that journey is actually more interesting than the making of the movie. And I'd rather see that on the screen. And that's my criticisms. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go next. Uh, thanks, Bryland. Is 
the one thing I'm kind of nervous and kind of cautious about is you know, going into this movie. I didn't. I was not like a, a follower of the room. Um, I don't know if I've seen the movie, kind of beginning to end, kind of fully uh, through. So I know that there's a lot of things that the more and more popular and how good that people will rate this movie will be. I think more people may go and they rate it poorly um, because they don't know or they just don't get it. That that's a cult class. Like they, they just don't know. They don't have all the actual context of that. So, you know, that's one thing. It's not quite like a, like a criticism of the movie, but a criticism of, you know, this, that necessarily could may happen. You know, I definitely wanted to at least explore the relationship a little bit more. I thought there was a lot of kind of unsaid things, and we only we really get like one scene of them like tossing a football back and forth, uh, and you know exploring that relationship between <laughs> that was great too. That was, that was also awesome, uh, but ex- exploring that relationship, especially the fact that it was kind of weird. Uh, Dave Franco being a nineteen-year-old, not not sure if that was not, I, don't, I don't know at that point, but you know, and then the, the facial hair that he had, I was like that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, you know, but those Francos you know, have unique faces too. They have There's very no unique. way around them. It's crazy that because they don't really, they kind of look like each other, but at the same time they don't. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that's called familial uh, resemblance, and that's about it. <laughs> Dave, Dave, oh, do you know there's a third Franco brother? No, I saw he's, he has like I'm Franco. He has like two credits on IMDb. Of just like playing, you know, like you know, they're like he looks, he looks exactly like James Franco. It's weird. It's like it's like Cooper Manning. (laughs) Like there's the third Manning brother. Like no one ever knows that. He's like an insurance salesman. He wasn't very good, so you're like, we're just not gonna talk about him. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't have too many criticisms of the fact that you know. They it definitely seemed like, and I, I I'm going off of again like, they was a little bit too much focus on a lot of the side characters uh and i'm wondering because of the side characters were a bit famous or if they really did have like those kind of thoughts and like elements of um you know there was a lot like seth rogan had a lot of lines in this movie and paul Shear had a lot of lines in this movie um and i'm like well was that realistic or because like that's who they're char- like they're they're playing characters and they, these are pretty famous actors so I'm wondering if they just give them like some screen time for the sake of that and if there wasn't if it wasn't like a bigger character if that's going to be the case you know more along the lines of like the director for instance who played the, the Stanislavski director in this one was um, oh crap I forgot his name crap what's his name he plays in uh, he's a writer he also plays in uh, Paul Saul he plays Bob Saul. Odenkirk it's Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk. Yes, thank yeah. you. So I like it, but like, he didn't say too much. It was just like a supporting character, and he had like a couple lines, and that was it. So I'm like, okay, well, why give more focus on other characters and not so much as all, all of them, which is good, but it, it, that felt a bit unbalanced to me. Um, you know, but other, other than that, you know, I, I didn't have two other criticisms for the movie. What? Yeah, uh, a couple things. I talked about uh, some of them earlier, but. Um, Two things for me. Uh, first of all, the actor that plays Peter in the film changes. And they never address it. Like, he, he's in an early scene. And apparently, Tommy Wiseau got really sick of, you know, whoever that actor was. Or I No, the actor quit. And instead of going back and reshooting all those scenes, they just got a new guy, gave him the same name, and gave him the same backstory. So, like, he comes in and talks about what like his character had been talking about earlier in the film. And I think that's hilarious. And they should have done that. Like they didn't even allude to it. Cause it was just the same guy through the whole thing. Um, that was to me a huge miss, uh, because that's such a stupid thing. Uh, the other thing that was, uh, and this kind of goes into it where there was a lot of technical problems. Uh, they kind of touched on it where, uh, you know, they, they give you the camera set and say, hey, you can either shoot in this, you know, type or this type. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do both. And his his view of a multi-camera production was using... So, like, normally you have digital and then you have analog film. And you just put them right next to each other and then you shoot, um, you know, with the same thing. And then you could just treat them differently and edit them differently and all that fun stuff. Um, and it's, a, it's like an aesthetic design. Uh, in this film, uh, he bought two cameras, the two camera set, and then positioned them at different setups so he could do, like, multi-camera angles. 
And of course, when you're cutting back and forth, you can notice the picture quality difference. And so like there's one scene that has like two different qualities depending on what angle they're facing. Uh, and they kind so like that's all throughout this film where like because he was kind of an idiot with the production, he was just kind of paying for it. There's all these technical things. There's something called ADR in film. And this is the biggest miss for me. There's something called ADR, uh, automatic uh, dialogue replacement. Or automated dialogue replacement, I forget what the A is, um, where basically it's most evident when a character's back is turned. They can shoot a bunch of B-roll and then have that character change their line in post-production. Uh, you could sometimes tell, like, you could see that their, their jaw's not moving quite in sync, or the really funny one is when their jaw doesn't move at all, but you can hear that character speak. Um, and so, you know, not super egregious, like if it's out of sync, most people won't notice that. Uh, what people do notice, though, is when the character's face is in the camera and their mouth is moving at a different time than the words you're hearing. Apparently, he was so terrible at his lines that, like, if they got a good visual representation, they just told him that they'd fix it in post. But when it comes down to it, he couldn't say his lines in post. So, like, the, uh, the dialogue, they, you know, they do it in post to clean it up, so the noisy sets, that sort of fun stuff. It, maybe even, like, they don't want to change the lines. Maybe if the set was noisy or if there was other stuff going on, you just overdub it. Um, and, so, and so you have half the movie, this character be talking, but the other words would be coming out of his mouth, and they never reference that once. And I just wanted to see that... Because it ties into the whole thing that he's got a goofy voice and that, like, no one understands any, you know, Chris Tucker. No one understands the words that are coming out of his mouth. Um, so, like, <clears throat> I, I wish. They, were, they really didn't harp enough on the technical limitations that that film uh, faced because I think that was absolutely hilarious. Sorry. The mini rant over. I didn't mean to make that as ranty. Yeah, I mean, you talk about criticism of the movie. It's, uh, that is what it is. Additional dialogue recording, or also known as dubbing. Additional. All right, not automatic. Cool. I'm going to splice that in. I'm going to dub myself into that. <laughs> I really hope you do, and then you forget yeah. that everybody hears that. Like, that's great. <laughs> yeah, those technical issues were definitely noticeable in the side-by-side shots at the end. Yep. Because... Um, yeah, when they're making this movie, they're showing you the making of the making of the movie and not the finished product. And But those scenes that they did recreate, yeah, the, the audio is perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the, like part of the, I almost, the movie was technically too perfect, which is a weird thing yeah. to say. It's like it was made by competent film writers, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which is, that should never be a criticism on a, uh, a film, but in this case it is. Like, it should have been more terrible. <laughs> I freaking love the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see Disaster Artist again in, like, two hours. So, yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's so good. Nice. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. That's, that's my biggest criticism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and with that, like... We're excited. I mean, we're going to give you uh, a few of the lasting thoughts, and we have been talking about the disaster artists. And, uh, Brylin, you know, for our conclusion, like, what's the lasting thoughts to leave all of our uh, listeners? Uh, I would say the d- disaster artist is an enjoyable, enduring film about friendship uh, that doesn't really get too deep into its characters. Uh, but maybe that's the point. Yep. I'm not sure. I conflict with it all the time. Okay, okay. I'll blow it. <laughs> Deep thinking with Brown. Yeah, this movie to me, um, I th- I think it's must view like material. It's it's I-, I loved every second of it. It was totally engrossing and gave a, l- a little peek behind the curtain. Even though I said that was a bad thing, it gave a little peek behind the curtain, not the full rip it off um, on this magnus opus of a film. That was a good one. Uh, I I'd definitely say, like, much like Get Out that Brylin just saw recently, uh, I think it's going to be helpful to go into this movie with people that you can actually talk this movie kind of through of, like, some of the how ri- just ridiculousness of it. And there's so many kind of small and little things that we didn't touch on, but I, I, I like the movie a lot. Um, I definitely would suggest, though, like, looking into the room, um, 
like not even studying it, but at least kind of watch it just to know what you're going into watching this film, just so you can get a little bit more out of it. Um, but it's definitely a good movie. I, 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 even for me, like not having enough in from all the information, uh, that was still like a very, just a very enjoyable experience. So go check it out in theaters today and from the entire last week. Also. <laughs> and with that, we are the Down in Front Podcast Breakfast Edition. Uh, we want to say thank you so much for kind of hanging out with us. Bradley, where can we find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, petting all the nice doggies. At Bryland, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, I'm also the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast. Uh, we are playing through Doom right now, and we're going to go kick some demon ass very soon. Nice. Yeah, that was a lot of fun kind of watching you. Um, definitely kind of chatting you up, so thanks for that. Boy, where can you find more of your work? Uh, you can find me at uh, Mayanese Music or Mayanese Band, uh, most major platforms. Uh we realized that we got way too drunk recording the other night and pretty much have to like start over on one song. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah, that's that's it. But we should have an EP coming out. Um, I will or go with it. It might be a miracle. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, so hi, doggy. So uh, yeah. So. So, yeah, we were uh, we should have an EP out, though, uh, by start of 2018. Um, so I'm sure I'll be ecstatic about that when it happens. Nice. Yeah. There you go. I'm, ex- I'm excited to kind of check that out. Things. Oh, uh, uh, I, got, I got nothing uh, for Jesse's email. I like it was too. There's there's nothing that I could say that would be a joke about the, the room because it's a perfect no, movie. I, I got nothing for Jesse email at ymail.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Film Please Jesse's say. ass at ymail.com. <laughs> a lot of work our official website is downfrontpodcast.com go check us out for our instagram live reactions we put back to reddit we have a twitter we have a facebook like literally everything in our youtube channel so definitely go subscribe please go and love us to donate to us for patreon like that's also something that we have going i want to say thank you so much for kind of hanging out i am actually doing something very fun with uh, uh, another twitter channel that i end up doing called friends with blends and we do 12 days of wine kind of counting down for the holidays so kind of stay tuned and kind of keep an eye out for that uh, we've just been reviewing a bunch of different wines we did it last year and actually a lot of fun uh, we just do a different wine counting down to christmas um so we will be doing it again this year so take a look out for the hashtag you know 12 days of wine um and thanks so much and we have been a down podcast and we'll see you later Bye-bye. Bye.